This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Witness Docs from Stitcher. This story contains adult themes and descriptions of sexual violence. Listeners, be advised. I remember vividly the, the pictures uh, that uh, Cecilia showed us. They were very, you know, very real. Looking at his face, there was something wrong with his eyes. I think he was wearing like colored contact lenses. He had a weird look. And I, the impression I had as a woman was like, this is a slimy man. This is somebody I will never trust. Just from a picture. Uh, not ugly, not beautiful, you know, like a very Sandra guy. But it was something wrong about him, like first impression I got. So you're seeing those pictures, and then you also know that he's a cop. So how did that compute in your mind? Well, unfortunately, there is a lot of cops who are like that. <laughs> so, I mean, there are a lot of good cops, but they're also, it wouldn't be the first and the last one to, you know, sort of use that kind of power that the police suits gives you. So sometimes you don't have good guys wearing the cop suits. This is Verified. I'm your host, Natasha Del Toro. Here's where we are in the story. After Maria returned home to Portugal, she admitted to herself that she'd been drugged and assaulted by her couch-surfing host, the Italian cop, Leonardo. And she managed to track down 14 other women from all over the world who, like her, had also been violated by this same guy. So Maria formed a secret Facebook group where they could talk openly about what had happened and how to stop Leonardo. They even considered returning to Padua to try to catch him in the act. But instead, Maria and her boyfriend decided they needed some help. So they turned to a group of three Italian journalists at Irpi, the investigative reporting project Italy. Now, I want you to get to know them because they play a huge role in the story. Cecilia, Giulio, and Alessia are all Italians in their 30s, They're hardworking, they're passionate, and creative. 
and they're all investigative journalists, though none of them plan to be. I'm Cecilia. I wanted to be an archaeologist. Alessia is looking at Sorry, me like it's my scene. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> Later, she wanted to be a painter before turning to journalism. Then I decided I wanted to be a war reporter. So I got like picked up by City University in London. And while she was in London, she met a fellow Italian reporter named Giulio. I met Giulio at a party. <laughs> and uh, from there, like, literally, we haven't stopped a minute. I am Giulio, and uh, I never really decided I wanted to be a journalist. Journalism is something that happened to me, and even pretty late. I started doing journalism when I was 27 in a long backpacker trip, six months around South America. And, um, and when I came back to Italy, it was too hard to actually find a salary as a journalist. So I went to live in London, and that's where I met Cecilia. And, and yeah, she told you the story. We started doing things together, and uh, we didn't stop. <laughs> Giulio and Cecilia worked freelance together on important stories they felt needed attention, like stories about illegal waste trafficking that were published in Italian media. And they really threw themselves into it. Days, nights, and weekends. Then we got very lucky. I mean... We got invited to the uh, Global Investigative Journalism Conference in Kiev in 2011. And that's where I got my training, basically, from colleagues that were giving me amazing tips and, uh, and, and stories. Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, is also where Giulio and Cecilia met the third member of their reporting team. Uh, so I'm Alessia. Well, I, I wanted to be a journalist, uh, but before I wanted to be a, uh, an archaeologist as a Cecilia, uh, like Indiana Jones and this kind of uh, archaeologist. Then at university, Alessia studied Japanese and Mandarin before she too started freelancing as a journalist. I decided, okay, it's time to report about Japan for Italian media, and so I did. I started Some of Alessia's Japan. first stories and were about the nuclear was, disaster uh, following Japan's uh, devastating uh, earthquake uh, in 2011. And, uh, well, I remember that time that uh, I was telling to my parents for the first time, hey, I'm going to Fukushima and uh, to cover what happened there. And my uh, parents asked me, oh, isn't it a bit, a bit dangerous for you? I said, no, I have friends who are now covering narcos and others going to South America and others covering organized crime in uh, southern Italy. I'm just going to Fukushima. It's not that dangerous compared to what other people are doing. They just told me, isn't it better if you just change your friends uh, instead of... <laughs> <laughs> well, they tried. Alessia was committed to a future as a journalist, and she found two like minds in Cecilia and Giulio. The conference in Kiev was uh, the cradle that made Irpi start. Like we, we realized that the only Italians there were poor young freelancers without any media backing them up. And we said, like, like let's back each other up. And, and, and that's how our center was born. By 2013, their center, Irpi, was up and running. But it was still pretty new. They had just created a platform for secret tips from the public. And that's when the email from Maria's boyfriend arrived, explaining what Leonardo had done to Maria and the other women in the Facebook group. The Earpy reporters recognized right away that this story could be huge. 
much bigger than anything they'd taken on before. Most of us were at the very beginning of their career. Some of us had a little bit more experience, but none of us had worked as a journalist for more than a couple of years, seriously at least. So, you know, it was a task way beyond what we knew we could tackle on our own normally. So it was a real challenge, even from a professional point of view. But the reporters were up for that challenge. They knew they wanted to dig in, to uncover what Leonardo had done, and to try to bring justice to the women who'd been wronged by him. Not just in the media, but in a real courtroom. And that meant helping them build a judicial case. But they also knew they needed help navigating how to do that. It was like, we cannot do this alone. Like, it's quite serious. We need some lawyers. We need some support. We need to... We weren't trained. I mean, we were trained for other type of reporting. So how do you... Um, you know, not, not just how you, do you deal with the survivors, but also how do you investigate such a story. So we were just facing somebody who, you know, officially he was just a good cop. So the reporters turned to a lawyer they knew, Giulio's cousin, Gianmarco. <laughs> you know how Italians are. We always resort to family when in doubt. So he was the only lawyer I know that I could trust and that wouldn't ask us for money straight ahead. Like, he would at least give us some sound advice before anything else. Gianmarco was an experienced lawyer, but he was also someone they knew had no connection to Leonardo. And that was important. We were afraid that there could be a system of people that knew each other. Um, So we didn't know how deep this thing ran, if it was just a single cop doing that or if it was multiple cops or if it was uh, if there were other people involved so it was hard to to find someone that we would be absolutely sure had no connections to that and um, Gianmarco he was the only one I could think of we could think of that was surely outside of any possible connection to this guy and that we could trust so they decided to meet up Giulio and Cecilia traveled to Gianmarco's home in Milan. Like it was his living room and a blue sofa, big table. We had a drink. and We had had a marvelous dinner also, (laughs) cooked by his wife. I remember that. Over a nightcap, the reporters filled Gianmarco in on everything that they knew about Leonardo and the women who claimed he'd abused them. Gianmarco looked shocked by what they told him. He couldn't believe what we were saying. And the moment we started, like, saying details and getting into, like, the stories of each girls and showing evidence, he, like, really turned, like, this is incredible. Like, we have to do something about it. And he was stepping out of being a lawyer, too, in that moment. I think there was this common sense of acting as citizens. But he said we need to act very carefully because oh, this this man is a cop, you know? Like, you can't just run there like three freelance journalists and 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 promise you're going to help these girls. And then how do you do that? Like, we need to be clever about it. The reporters needed to come up with a strategy and fast. We're sitting in this room with DeMarco, the lawyer, and while we were talking about it, we knew that possibly in Padova, the, the, Dino was perpetrating his crime again. I mean... That was a possibility too, and and that 
it was a feeling that uh, stayed with us for all the months that we kept working on this thing. Julio's cousin gave them some important advice on how to proceed, advice that would stay with them throughout their reporting. He told them, don't just talk to these women like you might for an article, like notes on a pad or whatever. Write the interviews down word for word to create a sworn statement. Because John Marco knew something that the reporters were only beginning to understand. If they were going to help the survivors to build a case against Leonardo, these statements had to be admissible in a court of law. John Marco provided a sort of um, template let's say. And he, he told us that how we had to explain the survivor, the, the girls, how to, get inf- how to put the information in a, in a sort of order way, which meant say everything, even things that uh, you might think they're not important because maybe you just want to say about the violence. But actually, it's very important to put any of these that you remember. For example, we got there by train at this time. We went to uh, the gelateria or any details is very important. Also to show that your memory is consistent and that you know what you're talking about. It was extremely reassuring for us to speak with uh, with Gianmarco, with lawyer, about this fact. Because at the moment, uh, we were absolutely not sure that statements would have been enough to start a case. We, we, we were really thinking that without something external, like a third-party piece of evidence or at least, you know, some medical reports or whatever, the case would not start at all. So when he just said, okay, let's collect the statements and then we can go to the prosecutor, it was kind of reassuring. Gianmarco's advice was empowering because it gave them a plan. They could finally act. And the first call they made was to Maria. The reason why we thought it was very important to start with Maria is because Maria has been the sort of strength and power behind all the 14 victims that reached out. So we wanted to start sort of going back into this whole story with the first voice that was Maria. Over the next few months, through email, text messages, video calls, and encrypted messaging... Maria told them her story. So I stand up from my chair after we finish dinner to start washing the dishes. The moment I stand up, I feel this huge hit in my head, like very, very strong. Cecilia had to get Maria to share every personal detail, just like Gianmarco had told her to. I don't remember going to the train station. I don't remember being on the train to Venice. So sometimes emotions were, you know, taking over and I had to force her to go back and describing again the same horrible scene. Um, It's something that will link you forever. Having to take her into like the darkest spots of the story uh, over and over again, At the same time, I was trying to be as emotionally detached as possible because I had a task.
Maria also invited the reporters into the private Facebook group that she created for the other survivors. And that's where they were able to learn about the other women's stories. Uh, my name is Eileen. I'm 26 years old, and I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba in Canada. My name is Alyssa. I'm from California. I'm 25 years old. I live in Shanghai, China. And as the women described what happened to them in Italy, the reporters started to uncover Leonardo Maglio's pattern. His guests were primarily women, and they came from all around the world. Like Marie and Kate, they wanted to go see Venice, but couldn't find a place to stay. So they went on couchsurfing. We had forgotten to book hostels. We looked at they were really expensive, so we put out a message on couchsurfing. And I think immediately he messaged us, Leonardo, and said, oh, you can come and stay at my place. And then he picked us up, and then it all went downhill from there. (laughs) Once they got to Padua, Leonardo did the whole tour guide thing, taking them shopping and treating them to meals. So we went to um, a pizzeria. Uh, There he bought us um, some drinks, And we had one or two um, when we already said we were good. We didn't want anything else. Um, He ended up paying for our entire bill, so we felt pretty, like, bad about it. And then at some point, he would whip up a home-cooked meal. He shows couchsurfing girls, oh, I'm making you pasta. He tries to be very nice that way so then he can get away with other stuff. Along with dinner, Leonardo would serve them something special. And then he pulls out another um, jug of wine. It's a red wine, and it's in a jug, not a, its original bottle. He said, oh, this is my homemade specialty Italian wine. Um, you can't get it anywhere else. It is very strong, but it's a specialty, and you have to try it. We're like, oh, like we don't want to drink anymore. We're not even done our first glass. Okay, well, just try a little bit. Just see how, you, how, how it tastes. And he pours us a small um, a small glass of it. I only had two sips of that. I didn't even finish my other glass of wine. I was also eating. So I barely had any alcohol in me. And within 10, 15 minutes, I could see like everybody at the table. They were all getting very like dazed out. Their ha- hands were on their heads um, over the table. My head was feeling very heavy. Um, I was very slow in my thinking. My body felt heavy. Um, I felt like I didn't care about anything. And then he started smiling, and that's when I knew, like, for sure we were drugged. And if they didn't drink wine, Leonardo had other options, like tea. After all, who could refuse a nice cup of tea? And so he came into the bedroom with three cups of tea, and immediately we thought, this doesn't look like tea. Like, did he understand us? Does he know what we're saying? And uh, it had come out in little espresso cups. It wasn't even the color of tea. I think it was kind of an orangey red, if I remember. And we tried it, and uh, <laughs> said, this doesn't taste like tea. And then we went to, we went and sat down at the dinner table and we thought, wow, what is happening? 
me and my friend Maddie were looking at each other. We've known each other since we were four years old, and we were looking at each other like, something feels weird. We don't feel right. I don't know what's going on. At that point, we wanted to know if he... Well, I wanted to know if he was actually drugging us because we still didn't know. So I did something really stupid, and I drank three glasses of the tea. And then I blacked out for the next 12 hours. After Leonardo drugged his guests, he wouldn't immediately assault them. Instead, he dragged a lot of them out dancing and kept them drinking and partying. Without even knowing it, they were participating in his alibi. If they complained about not being able to remember what happened the night before, he could say, look, everyone saw you at the disco. You were having a great time. So we went into the bar, and he bought a round of shots. Quickly right after that, bought another round of shots, and we already said, like, we don't want to drink anymore. We want to go to bed early. We don't want to be hungover in the morning. Um, And he just kept saying, like, oh, I'm doing this for you guys. This is my money. This is, like, for you. Uh, Don't be rude. Um, And it got to the point where when he wasn't looking, we were dumping the shots out into napkins. And it's only then, at the end of the night, after all the whirlwind tourism and showing off, after the drugging, the discos and drinks, that Leonardo had these women exactly how he wanted them disoriented, exhausted, and defenseless. He came into the room apparently not realizing that Maddie was looking at us from the balcony and um, started touching us, groping our butts and like touching us sexually. Maddie came in immediately, he said, what are you doing? He's like, oh no, I'm just putting the blanket on top of them because they look cold. So he grabs some blanket, you know, it's just such a lie. So I know for a fact he raped for sure one of us, maybe all four of us, and he definitely sexually assaulted us. He drugged us for sure. But you don't have memories of that? I don't have memories, no. I have a lot of nightmares about what could have been, but I don't have memories. These interviews help the reporters see the full scope of how Leonardo operated, including how he'd used different identities. So he introduced himself as Leo. Yeah. And did you realize later that it's not his name? No. No, I didn't. I thought Leo was his real name. His real name is Dino Maglio. He also used a ton of fake names, like Leonardo, Leo, Leon, and even Leonardo Mangano. We've been calling him Leonardo up to this point. But from here on out, we're going to use his real name, Dino. The thing that uh, made me mad about this case was uh, the way that Dino Maglio managed to manipulate the victims and uh, the way that they trusted him. That was the first thing that struck me. And, uh, I mean, uh, I couldn't understand in the beginning. How is it possible? How was it possible? Okay, I mean, he had a fake name, but he's still acting in public view. 
He's on a website that relies on people like these women writing reviews. So why weren't there any bad reviews? Why were they all positive? The first thing I wanted to do was to write him a bad review on couchsurfing. And then the second thing I wanted to do is to report him to the police. I wish I would have just reported him to the police and then written the bad review on couchsurfing in the opposite order. That's Alyssa again, one of the survivors. We wrote the bad review on couchsurfing and immediately sent us a message threatening us. Dino's bad behavior also took the form of online threats. This is an actual message that Dino sent her. It's read by an actor. And so I host you. I give you my best room. I offer you an expensive dinner in a good restaurant. I pick you up at the station and bring you back. And this is your thanks? You are ungrateful. In Italy, it is a crime to slander a person without proof. And therefore, if you do not change or delete the bad and false... You know, you've committed acts of slander. This is against the Italian criminal penal code. I will arrest you. I have witnesses. Everyone in my house will be a witness against you. Like, I would never drug you. I have a hundred great reviews on couch surfing. I was the nicest host ever. And then he's like, I would never, you know, drug you. I'm a police officer. You know, what you're doing is criminal. And I'm going to prosecute you. You won't be able to leave the country. I'm talking with my Italian police officer friends. And they're, you know, we can build a case against it. Just all this, all this stuff. Um... I remember one thing he said is that you will be stopped at every airport, hostel, and hotel you try to book into because I have information on you, like your passport and your phone numbers or your home address, like information like that. You really disappointed me with your behavior. Now, I will wait one day to give you the chance to make up for your mistake, and then everyone on his way. If you don't fix your mistake... I will proceed and wish you good luck. Tell me what you've decided. Thanks. I'm a serious person, not a criminal. After that, we didn't want to go to the police. We were really scared. We thought if we went to the police, all of his friends worked at the police. We thought, oh, if we go to the police in Florence and in Rome. And then we thought, no, maybe they all know each other. We had heard about the mafia. We were just like 19 years old, just really confused, I guess. Alyssa and her friends debated what to do next. They wanted to warn other women who might stay with him. But in the end, Dino's threats worked. So they took the review down. Dino Maglio was totally aware that those good reviews were his biggest currency. And he didn't just force guests to write them. The reporters figured out that his profile was also filled with fake reviews that he had friends write. He was gaming the system in two ways. And so to anybody looking at his profile, he was this great host. So the the system of reviews doesn't doesn't really work because it's enough that you have five, six, seven good reviews and, and everybody, I mean, do you ever read them? Or at least do you read more than a couple of good reviews? If you see that there are three, four, five, then it's okay. You you feel safe. The reporters were in this mad race against time because they knew Dino was still out there and dangerous. And every day that he wasn't behind bars, other women could be at risk. But they had to gather enough information to make a bulletproof case. 
And that's exactly what the reporters were working on when Maria and Miriam made a discovery that blindsided everyone. One night I am sitting with Miriam in a coffee place and this whole subject comes to our heads. So we decide to Google his name and right away we see an article from a few days ago telling this big story. We were shocked. Maria called Cecilia right away to tell her what she'd found. I don't know if you ever experienced earthquake, but I live in Umbria, which is a region in which sometimes earthquake hits. When it does, most times it's been in the middle of the night and I cannot sleep anymore. And that moment was exactly like an earthquake, so I couldn't sleep anymore. Yeah, it's like literally shake me from inside. And it was middle of the night. I think it was about like between three and four in the morning. So was, I was completely asleep. I mean, I literally almost fell from my bed. It was Maria calling me on, on WhatsApp and I thought something really bad must have happened. I mean, she's either it's a mistake or she wants to tell me something very important. So I just picked up. And she told me, hey, I have an incredible news. You're super excited. It's like, I have an incredible news. He's been arrested. And I was like, what? That's right. Dino, the cop, was in police custody. That's coming up next time on Verified. I'm Natasha Del Toro. This season of Verified is reported by Alessia Tarantula, Cecilia Onassi, and Giulio Rubino of Irpi, Investigative Reporting Project Italy. It's written and produced by me, Natasha Del Toro, Suzanne Reber, Senior Producer Dan Bloom, Bruce Edwards, Rachel Aronoff, Joey Fishground, and Shreya Nandi. Additional production by Grant Hill. Our editors are Peter Clowney, Gianna Palmer, and Ellen Weiss. Engineering by Casey Holford, Bruce Edwards, and Robin Wise. Our theme and original music are by Allison Leighton Brown. Special thanks to Andrew Haig for our collaboration with Ground Source. We are particularly grateful to the many women who spoke with us, both on and off the microphone, and trusted us to tell their story. Verified is created by Suzanne Reber and executive produced by Suzanne Reber, Ellen Weiss, Peter Clowney, and Chris Bannon. There's so much more for you to discover about this story and what's coming up on the show. You can find us on Twitter at Verpod and at VerifiedPod on Instagram and Facebook. Or you can write to us at VerifiedPod at Stitcher.com. If you like the show and believe in this kind of storytelling, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people discover Verified. Thanks for listening.